Okay, y'all, well, we're doing our study in Hebrews, and we're starting chapter 2 tonight. And if you would, just turn there. I might call upon a few people to, to read some scriptures. This is a great study, y'all. It's a wonderful study. And just sort of keep your, your heart and your mind dialed in as we go through it. It's going to take a while to go through it. But I don't want it to become, like, old to us. This is what the Lord, I believe, has led us to study. And... Uh, like I said, we can take a break from it anytime we want, but I just think it's uh, such a great study. And what do we say one of the themes was for this book? You all know, remember? The encouragement. That everything in Christ is what? Better, right? Better. Any, any commentaries you would read or, you know, the, uh, books that would would go along with Hebrews, a study of it, they would all use that. The things, the, the things that we have in Christ are better. And that was an encouragement, like Tiffany said, it was encouragement to these believers. This book, this epistle was written to believers. It was written to, uh, to Jewish Christians specifically that, that were facing great tribulations and trials. And sometimes, y'all, the trials that we face just sort of wear down on us. You know what I mean? They're not just a big blatant, uh, bless you, not just a big, some tragedy that happens. Those are trials as well. But a lot of times it's just the, uh, the day in and day out grind of something that can wear upon you. And I think a lot of times those can be harder uh, than others. Maybe may more tempted to give up on really pursuing after God in those times than when you just... You know, getting a car wreck and, you know, calling on Jesus real quick and something tragic's happened. I think we turn to Jesus, but if something's grinding on you, that's the way I'm putting it, wearing on you day in and day out, those can be a lot harder. And the Lord knows, though. The Bible says that the Lord is uh, refining us through the fires of affliction. That's how He's choosing to do it. So these believers were not out of God's love or out of His care. They weren't forsaken or neglected by the Lord at all. And neither are you or, or, or I when we're going through those trials as well. We go through them and we're going to go through them. The Bible absolutely promises us that. That in this world we're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. The Lord says, for I've overcome the world. And so in, in the, these 13 chapters, it's really going to build into a lot of really wonderful things here. But the comparison is going to be between Christ and pretty much the religion of Judaism that these Hebrew Christians came out of. And maybe they're being taunted, or maybe they're being uh, ridiculed, or maybe they're being mocked because the Jews would say, we have the temple, what do you Christians have? You know, you meet in a house, you meet out by the riverside, you know, what, what do you have? We have schools, we have the the Ten Commandments. We have the priests in all their garments. We have the sacrifices. A lot of things that they could point to that they have, but all of those things, y'all, and it's pointed out in this epistle, were foreshadows of the coming of Christ. And when Christ actually came in the flesh and, and lived, he was the fulfillment of Judaism, really. He was the fulfillment of the temple, temple worship, the tabernacle, the types and shadows of all the implements of worship, the priesthood, everything, it was fulfilled in Christ. And so th this epistle was written to encourage those believers, don't dare go back to that, okay? Don't dare go back to that. And so 
uh, he was compared, the Lord was compared to angels, and he will be in this, this chapter a little bit as well. But in chapter 1, we read about that. Last week, we talked about it. The Jews had high regard for angels. They play a prominent part. I think a lot of times, I know I might just sort of, I, I don't think a lot about angels. You know what I mean? I just don't. But they had a prominent part in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, whether it's Michael the archangel or Gabriel, those are the two we know by name, uh, or you know, angels that came and ministered to the Lord after he fasted 40 days and nights in, in the wilderness and was tempted. There, we see angels ministering on behalf of the Lord. They're ministering, uh, ministering spirits sent forth by the Lord. And Jesus is better than the angels. Okay, we talked about that last week, so I don't want to really, really, uh, you know, spend too much time going back over that. But if you look at chapter two, verses one through four, I want to read that, and we'll talk about it. Wherefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to those things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, this is speaking about the law, okay, given to Moses, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Every one of these verses is, is uh, filled with stuff. Every one of these passages. But there's a warning here in these first four verses. There's an admonition, okay, or a warning. The Bible has a lot of those. Everything's not just... Uh, patting you on the back and saying that everything's great. We have admonitions in the scriptures. We have warnings. We have uh, things that we're to beware of, to take heed of, and things like that. It's for our own good. It's for our own protection. A lot of y'all in here have children or have had children and so forth that, you know, at times past, past in your life, there were little children, you raised them, and we, we spent a lot of our time uh warning them about things, to protect them. We don't do it because we hate them. We do it because we love them. We do it because we're trying to make for their health and their prosperity and their growth and their maturity. And so we're not, and same for the Lord. How much more does the Lord love us? Don't, don't shrink up and shrivel up when God's Word speaks something pretty firm to you or speaks something hard to you. It's okay. He'll also give us the strength and the grace to bear it. And wherever we come up short, see, I'm not afraid to go to the Word of God and just let it deal with me. And let it deal with me. And wherever I'm coming up short, which is probably most of the areas, to also bring that before the Lord and say, God, I'm coming up short here. I'm, I'm deficient in this area. I'm not at all lining up with what the Bible says a believer ought to be or to do in this area. But I thank you that you're kind and you're merciful and you're patient. Nonetheless, Lord, do it in me. Make me that. Help me. Show me what I need to do. Show me uh, things I need to give up. Show me things I need to add to or incorporate into my life. And would you do it? It's a working of your Holy Spirit in my life. Come in agreement with God. Okay? Come in agreement with God and say, yes, this is what your word says. Yes, this is where I'm coming short. He's not going to kick you in the behind and just you know, kick you out of the house, 
We're his children. We're purchased with the blood of Jesus. Yeah. It says in Romans uh, 8, if, if God spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all, how should they not also with him freely give us all things? He's already given us Christ. He's already given his only son. Is he not going to also give us the other things we need just in life, whether it's natural things or spiritual things or growth or encouragement? He will. Okay, he will. But there's an admonition here in Hebrews chapter 2, verses, verse 1. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. More earnest heed. And I believe that's all the more as we see the day approaching. It says in Hebrews 10, uh, all the more. And this is the same thing. We ought to give the more earnest heed. This is not a time for, you, for us to, to uh, put our Christianity on autopilot. It is not. Okay? We ought to take it more seriously than we ever have before. And by serious, I don't mean like depressed or no joy. I do mean serious though. Sober-minded. I think about the sermon that uh, Alberto preached a few months ago at, at FNT. And it was about being sober-minded. That is, that is a characteristic of any age, but all the more of this age. Okay? We ought to give the more earnest heed to what? To those things which we... Paul includes himself in that. As a, it, I believe Paul's the author of this epistle, but nonetheless, he includes himself in this. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Okay? Things we've heard. You know what he's saying here? Stay in what you know. Don't follow after some new thing. You give earnest heed more of it to the things you already know. And that's to me, is very exciting about Christianity. I don't get bored with the Lord. I don't get, it doesn't become old to me. It's not old hat because I feel like even at this point in my life, I've not yet scratched the surface of the depth that there is in Christ, of the wonders and the riches, you know, of His mercy, of His love, of His grace, of His wisdom, of His power, of my prayer life, of my worship life, of going out and witnessing and being effective for the Lord. There's so much still out there to be had that I don't have to go look for something new. In fact, we're told not to go look for something new. It's deeper in the Lord, but it's not new. It's not different. It's deeper. And he says, give the more earnest heed to those things which we have heard. Which we've heard, okay? And um, so stay in what you've already received. The Word of God is continually reminding us that. Not just in this passage. But it's, it's stirring us up to diligently stay where we are. Not that we don't move. We move forward and we progress in the Lord. But we stay put in, in the truth of God's Word. It's from Genesis to Revelation, okay? And we don't, I don't have to look for something new. I'm not looking for anything new. Keep your spot there and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just want to hit one scripture real quickly here. 2 Peter 3. Can I ask somebody to read verses 1 and 2? Whoever gets there first. This second epistle. He's great. This second epistle. I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, uh, we'll just, that's great. We'll stop there at verse 2. No, that was perfect. He's saying, I'm writing this epistle to stir you up, stir your remembrance up. It's not something new, but we always have to be reminded. 
That's why I don't just come to church once and say, I've got it. You know what I mean? We, we keep meeting because every time, and we don't quit preaching on a, on a topic that we've heard before or studied in Sunday school. We'll go over it, and we'll go over it, and we'll move on to something else in a year from now, six months from now, five years from now. You might come back, we might do another study in Hebrews, you know. It's okay. We're learning, and we're growing. And He's stirring us up that we would, uh, the Holy Spirit is stirring us up to continue in these things. He says what's going to happen is, He says that lest you continue in these things, give heed to those things that we've heard. At the end of verse 2, I mean verse 1, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's something on our part where we would let them slip. It literally means to slip, to let slip away. I'm letting it slip away. It, I allowed it to get away from me. Okay? If you're at the boat dock and you untied your, your boat from the dock and there was a current, you just weren't really paying attention. But you should have been paying attention. You know better. You untied yourself from the dock. You know you're working on your fishing reel because it's got a backlash. And you're, and you're trying to get it out. And you're not paying attention. But you should be paying attention. You could throw the rope around the branch and, and stay tied off where you are. And let the anchor stay there. But it says, lest we let them slip. That means to let slip away. To flow past or beside. So the things that God's given us that are important, that are essential... His word, everything that he gives us in Christ. And if we don't give the more earnest heed to those things which we've already heard and get careless with them, there's going to be a downward spiral. There's going to be a downward progression. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. We look up and somehow it slipped past us. It got way downstream somewhere. Doesn't mean it can't be regained. But there can be a lot of loss between here and there. Not necessarily, not necessarily of our salvation, but there can be a lot of loss of maybe spiritual ground that was gained, fellowship with the Lord, victory in Christ, lots of things that can be lost that are very, very valuable. So we can let them flow past us or beside us. That's what that means. Lest at any time we let them slip. Um, we could forget, for example, that we've passed from death to life and start questioning our salvation. We could forget uh, all kinds of things that we one time, one time we knew and we were very confident of. Anybody ever had that happen? And maybe you've recovered it. You know, the Lord's helped you with it. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process to recover it. But have you ever let something slip to where somewhere in your Christianity you are less confident in the Lord than you were at some point in the past? I have before. And that's not God's fault. It's not like the Holy Spirit left us or the Word of God ceased to be true. It's that some, something took our eyes off the Lord. I'm always reminded of this little uh, account of Ari Tori. If you haven't ever read anything by him, he's wonderful. He was a contemporary of D.L. Moody, and I talk about him sometimes. Uh, he's a little bit younger than Moody, but their lives overlapped and. Anyway, he, he, he wrote in a book about, as he was speaking one time, he saw one of his friends, Christian friends that he'd known from years and years ago, sitting on the front row at one of his meetings. He hadn't seen it in a long time. And the guy just looked terribly troubled during the whole message. I mean, distracted, troubled, like he was in anguish. And Moody went and talked to me, uh, Tory went and talked to him after the service and said, hey, what's wrong? Have you taken your eyes off the Savior? 
You know, he said, yes, he had. And I don't know what all had transpired in his life, but, but the, the point was that he had, somewhere along the line, he had taken his eyes off the Lord. He wasn't going to hell, but he, he was suffering because of it. You know, he let, he let a lot of things slip by in his life. And we don't want to do that. It says for, in verse 2, For if the word, we're back in uh, Hebrews 2, 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and it was, okay? Spoken by angels. There they mention again. So it's a comparison. If, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression of that law, that was the Levitical law, given by angels to Moses, okay, to the people, by God, to Moses, you know, to the people. If every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and that was a given, that's what took place. Under the Levitical law, there was, if we transgressed that law, people that lived under that law, there was a uh, uh, recompense of reward. There was a punishment that came with it. God was still merciful in the Old Testament. He was still merciful under, under the Levitical legal system. But yet there were consequences. And he's saying, hey, look, if, if that word, you know, if you transgress that word and you received a, a reward that was fitting, basically, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now he talks about how the, this salvation came, the gospel came which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. Jesus, when he went around and spoke, he brought the gospel, right? He brought the gospel and, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, or the apostles and others that heard him. They took this gospel, and after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father, they carried on the work, right? He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also in greater works than these. They were left as apostles, and carrying out the word of God and the will of God. But he's, he's making the comparison here, okay? If that word spoke in that Levitical law, you know, people suffered under it when they transgressed. He said, how do you think we're going to escape? How are we going to escape um, if we neglect it? If we neglect the gospel that was given to us? And, and back in verse 2 where it says that God brought a just recompense of reward. In other words, God was always fair, He's always just. That's something you'll see all through the scriptures. He never, he never punishes us more uh, than what's fair and just. For example, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the fair recompense for a life lived in sin that's not forgiven. You know, a man's going to die one or two ways. He's going to die uh, under the blood of Jesus with his sins forgiven, or he's going to die bearing the weight of his own sin. And that's a weight we can't bear. You cannot bear it. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But he's always just. Righteousness and truth are the foundation of your throne. So how are we going to escape if we neglect? And that means, neglect simply means to not regard, to make light of. Okay? And we have at times, I'm sure we have at times, at different points in our lives, made light of some serious thing that God has spoken to us. Thank the Lord he is merciful. You know what I mean? We've made light of something that God has, does not make light of. It says in the Old Testament that Israel lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. 
he lightly esteemed the Lord. He put a low, Israel at some point, I think that was from Isaiah when they were, uh, Israel had wandered in Judah far from the Lord. He said they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. And so don't think that, that being in Christ and under grace is somehow less serious or demanding than the law. It's less demanding in the sense that we don't have a bunch of rules and regulations to follow. We're not following up uh, laws that are written on tables of stone. But the laws of God, not the Levitical law, but I believe the moral laws of God, are written on the heart of the believer. And Jesus said in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you've heard it written. You know, it's written, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, Okay, so in the Le Levitical law, in the Ten Commandments, was that to not commit adultery. And there was a punishment for that. But he says, I say unto you that whoever looks on a woman, you know, to lust after in his heart is guilty of adultery already. So it's not a less of a, of a standard, I guess is the way to put it. And I think it's a, it's a, a real mistake of modern Christianity to think somehow that the Lord has lowered his standards because of the gospel of grace. The grace of God we know is not a license to sin. He's saying right here, if that word spoken by angels, that Levitical law, if you transgressed it, there was a just penalty for it. Okay, God was still merciful. I'm the Lord, I've changed not. He was merciful in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And I like the way the Bible describes it. Our salvation is a great salvation. What we have in Jesus is great. We don't have to get up and follow a bunch of do's and don'ts in, our, in order to earn our salvation or merit favor with God. We get up and we walk with the Lord by His grace, in His Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And in so doing, there's lots and lots of commandments He's given us to do. And He enables us to do that. You know what I mean? He enables us to do those things by the Holy Ghost living inside of us. But he says, we're not going to escape if we neglect so great salvation. If we don't regard it, we take it lightly or lightly esteem it. The idea, and I'm just reading my notes here, the idea is that if men were judged or punished for transgressing the law, do we as New Testament believers think that we will not be required to live morally upright before the Lord under grace. And it moves from, the, this is an argument that moves from the lesser to the greater. The Levitical law was lesser. The law of Christ is greater. You see? The salvation is greater. And so we're going to have time in the study of Hebrews, y'all. We're really going to, I believe, spend more time um, contrasting and comparing the law and the Levitical law I know we've heard a lot in years past about the law and being a legalist and so forth. And I just want us, I believe it would be a benefit to us to really study uh, that when we get to it. But uh, just for, for, for tonight's purpose, I want to make the point that don't think that salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that comes by faith, is grace through faith, is any less of a holy thing or any less of an obligation on our part. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I say that's pretty serious, right? It, you know, 
if we're crucified with him and we're going to reign and rule with him and, and so forth. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God, uh, to God through Christ our Lord. And so this is not, when he talks about not escaping if we neglect or we let things slip, I don't believe right here that it's necessarily a point of losing your salvation. We'll actually talk about that more in Hebrews 6 and verse 10. I do think it's a question of holy living. I think it's a question of a life and a lifestyle that we're called to. There is a standard that God has called us to that is out of the reach of a lost man. He can't if he wanted to. Now that to me is a lost man trying to attain to the standards that this New Testament Christianity speaks of without Jesus, without faith in the Lord, would be utterly hopeless. That would be someone to me that was bound up, uh, and I would pity them. You understand what I'm saying? Pity them because they're trying to attain a degree of righteousness that is impossible. They can't do it. They can't do it apart from Christ, nor can we. But we're not, if we're born again, not apart from Christ. He does live in me. He does enable me to live this life and to walk it out. And so I don't believe it's talking right here about losing salvation. That's what we would suffer. I think it's a question of living the life that God's called us to live. When the Bible speaks of so great salvation here, I believe it's the greatness of the giver, that's the Lord, and the greatness of the gift. The way, you know, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is great. No, it is great. And so the end of verse 3, it says... Uh, it was spoken by the Lord, confirmed unto us by them that heard. And that was how the gospel came to us, from the Lord Jesus, and then confirmed. And then look at verse 4. God also bearing them witness. So he's still talking about the gospel brought by Jesus, then the, confirmed by those that heard him, and the Lord bearing them witness. So the Lord came alongside of those apostles, right, that we read about in the Bible. And bearing witness that what they're saying is true. How did how he do that? Both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. This is exciting. This is awesome because y'all, the, the, what the Lord did in the book of Acts, for example, confirming his word that was spoken. When Peter went out and preached, Peter and John went away to the temple. Uh, that, that morning when the lame man was healed. The Lord Jesus Christ was with them. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they see the lame man. They say, we don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, we're going to give what we have, rise up and walk. And the man rose up and walked. And then a big crowd gathers, because they all knew this lame man. They use it as a platform to preach the gospel. And the Lord had just confirmed his power. They said, why do you look at us, Peter and John said, as though by our own power this man was, impotent man was made whole. This is by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he preached Christ to them. And 5,000 people got saved. What just happened? The Lord confirmed his gospel with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and different gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Are we living in some different dispensation where that doesn't happen now? What do y'all think? No. No, I believe that the Lord still does that. Some people say, well, why don't we see that anymore? We do see that. Maybe we don't see it as much as we would like to. I don't probably see it as much as I'd like to. 
But the Lord is still doing these things. And we need to believe Him for those things. And we need to step out of the boat sometimes by faith and test the Lord. Not tempt the Lord, but test the Lord. Put in, test His Word. You know, see if He won't do what He says he, He'll do in His Word. I think a lot of times we, and we, we hedge it. We want something to fall back on in case God doesn't answer. And I think a lot of times these, these men of God and women of God, they didn't have anything to fall back on. They just stepped out and did it. If they said, if in the name of Jesus we're going to cast devils out, they would open up their mouth publicly and they would cast the demon out. You see what I'm saying? And it wasn't like, oh no, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to look like an idiot. You know, and, and oh, it's going to bring great shame to the Lord. They just obeyed by the unction of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I want to live that way more, but God is still doing these things. He's confirming them, okay? The Lord's bearing them witness. Miracles and signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost. That means, bearing witness means authenticated. Authenticated. There's lots of false teachings and lots of false teachers, and they're not authenticated by God. You don't have to worry that you're going to step out, for example, and share the gospel with the lost man and yet somehow believe that God can't save this man or that he's an exception to the rule. We can stand upon God's word. He can save them. Just tell them about the Lord. Pray for them that their eyes are open, their hearts are soft, and so forth. Step out and believe God to do what he says he'll do. All these false doctrines and false religions, they might have a lot of pomp and circumstance. They might have a lot of flamboyant things and activity and things going around them. But the Lord confirms his own. And you remember that. Whether you're in prison somewhere for preaching the Lord or whether you're behind a pulpit and have a big crowd of people that are eager to hear. Whatever the circumstance or situation, God is going to confirm his word in his truth. Confirming that this Jesus that is being preached is the Lord, is the Christ, is the Son of God, is the Savior, is the promised Messiah. You know what I mean? Is the Lord in the flesh. That's what he's confirming. I'll just give a quick little definition of these words. Wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wonders are, are simply this. Miracles designed to arouse amazement. Okay, so God does that sometimes. He's not putting on a show. Um, he's, he's, he's doing something like the lame man that we mentioned, like Lazarus being healed. The Bible says he purposely waited, right? Until four days later, he could have come and healed him, and that would have been impressive enough. But he waited till he died, and he'd been buried, and his body was actually decaying. And then he came. And it was a miracle. He spoke and Lazarus came forth still bound up in these grave clothes. They say, loose him and let him go. Why did he do that? I mean, there's a lot of things. He could have healed him before he got sick. He could have kept him from ever getting sick. There's lots of things he could have done. He did this miracle for the glory of God. He said, said I'm not unto you. If you'd only believe, you would see the glory of God. And so it was a miracle designed to arouse amazement. So people were amazed, just like them all speaking on tongues, in tongues on the day of Pentecost. And these known languages glorifying God. And they said, wait, these people are local boys. They're from right here in Jerusalem. 
Galileans and so forth. And how do we hear them speak in our own language? We travel hundreds of miles from, you know, Corinth or Egypt or these other places. How are they speaking our language and glorifying God? And, and that's when the man of God or the person of God steps in and brings glory to God and clarifies the situation. Peter said, we're not, these aren't drunk like you think. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. This is exactly God's plan and His order. And He has visited us in our day. And this is awesome and this is exciting. You better give your life to Christ. The Lord whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead and made Him both Lord and Christ. So the miracles happen. The devil, the Antichrist, is going to do lion signs and wonders as well. It's not authenticated by the Lord. His power is limited. He can do things that you and I couldn't do in a natural sense, but he can't, he's not all-powerful. And he's not going to be confirming the Word of God. God's miracles are always going to be to confirm His Word, and His Word is going to confirm those miracles. They're going to go together. But anyway, the next thing, after wonders, in the end of verse 4... Uh, the diverse miracles, it says with wonders and diverse miracles, this means any display of the supernatural contrary to the laws of nature. Contrary that would usurp or not be bound to natural laws. Okay? That would be any display of the supernatural contrary to the laws of nature. God can do that. Jesus walked on water. See? And Peter walked on water. These are contrary to the laws of nature. They're not just gimmicks. They're not just gimmicks. They're used to confirm the Lord bearing witness with them with these signs and wonders following. And then it says, gifts of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, according to His own will. This is special enablements given to men from God beyond their natural abilities. We're not doing an in-depth study on those words, but I just wanted to tell you, Gifts of the Holy Ghost, supernatural or special enablements that God gives to men beyond their natural abilities. Somebody with a beautiful voice, they can be lost as a goose and not know Jesus and have the most incredible voice or physical strength. Or even, charis or not charismatic, but a personality that, that draws people. There's lots of things that people can have in their natural abilities those aren't gifts of the Spirit. It says that God confirmed His Word by gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for example, the prophecy and the tongues, the interpretation, the discerning of spirits. Those men would not have if God didn't give them to them. They would not. I don't care how educated or, or whatever learned or whatever they may be, they would not have these gifts if God didn't give them. And again, they're for His glory. And so, y'all, I'm just going to read a, a couple more verses tonight. Let's read 5 through 8. It says, For unto the angels hath He not put, for unto the angels hath He not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Again, there's a comparison between Jesus Christ, how much more powerful and everything's better about Him than angels. Uh, but one in a certain place, and he's quoting from the Psalms here, Testified, saying, What is man? This is David testifying, uh, speaking of the Psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. 
Thou hast put all things under, in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. And I'm just going to cover these in, in one, you know, they all go together. Christ is better than angels. Uh, in, in his humanity, he was made a little lower than the angels. That's all that means. It's not that he's less than angels. He's the eternal son of God, the creator. He created angels. But in his humanity, he was subject to, as the Bible says, like passions like as we are. He was subject to infirmities. In other words, if you went up and, and hit Jesus with the, uh, you know, scourged him with a whip, and it would, it would hurt him. It would hurt his flesh. I don't know that an angel could be hurt by that. You understand what I'm saying? In his humanity, he got hungry. He got sleepy when he would go without sleep. And the Bible says after he fasted 40 days and nights afterwards, he was hungry. Okay? I don't know that an angel would have had to have food. In no point was Jesus less than the angels. He was made a little lower than the angels in his humanity. Still completely God. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's not spoken of of angels. That they're the Son of God. Like the unique Son of God. They're created beings. And it speaks about a world to come that's put under subjection to Christ. Not angels. To no angel, not any one or all of them together, did the Lord ever say in His Word, at some point, you angels are going to reign and rule over all my creation. He never said that. They're perfectly content being what they were created to be. Perfectly content being the Lord's ministering agents and His spirits. But to Jesus, He says, all things are going to be subject unto Him. And uh, I want to read two more verses and we'll close tonight. Let's look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. He says the world to come, right? Isn't that what it said in Hebrews? He put in subjection the world to come. It's not just this earth. I believe most of the Bible scholars that I was looking at says it's speaking of the millennium. Okay? There is a world to come where the lion and the lamb will lay down together and there won't be war anymore. And you know, all that peace, real peace on earth. There's a world to come that's not going to be like this one. They were part of that world and then subsequent, you know, the new heavens and earth and eternity will all be subject to the Lord. Everything will be subject to the Lord. And let's look at verse uh, 1115 Revelation. The seventh angel sounded. There was a great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. There's a lot of scriptures like that. Daniel talks about that kingdom that's coming. And uh, here it's spoken of as well. But that's not given to angels to rule. It's given to Christ to rule. And we as the children of God, the church of the Lord, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood, have the privilege, the Bible says, of reigning and ruling with the Lord. That's not a fairy tale. This is something when Christ comes again, the second coming, at the end of the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, uh, you can mark the day from this first day of the tribulation to the last. It can be counted down to the day. You don't know when the rapture is going to come. 
You know, it could happen today. With the second coming, you'll know from the count to the exact 360 days, uh, I mean, seven times that, that was a Jewish year. And, and here will come the Lord, and he will uh, bind Satan and put him in the bottomless, I mean, in a pit, you know, for three, for those uh, thousand years. And he will reign and rule, and we will reign and rule with him. Amen. That will mark the millennium that starts. And so the last scripture we'll read is from Romans chapter 8, 17 and 18. This is future for us as well. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, these are future things. It's talking about when Christ, we're not going to get the earth ready as the amillennialists believe. In the kingdom now, people believe that is a, a false doctrine within Christianity. It's a serious false doctrine that literally we're going to Christianize the world. We're going to be Joel's army and we're going to go out there and we're going to march. And everywhere we our feet tread, we're going to claim it for Jesus. We'll claim Baton Rouge and North Baton Rouge and all for Jesus just walking through. We're going to Christianize the world. We'll get everybody not necessarily born again and evangelized like we're called to do, you know, but people will be, behave themselves in a Christian manner. And then we'll get the words, earth subdued, and then, then the Lord will come back. He's literally, according to that theology, which is false, they're, 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 um, Jesus is waiting on us to subdue the world in his name. The Bible speaks of a rapture. You know, that we're, we're going to escape. Uh, it says, watch it, that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things. And so, we are taking souls with us as we go. doesn't mean we have no authority or power. It simply means that's not our calling. Our calling is to go into all the world and to preach this gospel. By all means, save some. Not Christianize the world. You know, if you give your whole life and you're able to bring somebody to Christ, that'll be uh, one of your rewards you have coming with you. You know what I mean? I got to bring my children to the Lord. They're born again. I want my dad to the Lord. He's born again. The guy at Dixie bagging my groceries, whatever it is, that's our calling. And, we're, and the Lord's going to come back uh, in his appointed time. And he will set things in order. And he will subdue all things. And we'll just have the privilege of reigning and ruling with him at that time. Amen. And so I just want to close tonight. We'll finish with Hebrews 2.8. We'll pick up in verse 9 next week. And uh, let me just pray for us. And y'all again, I know this is a little bit more like a Bible study. Which it's okay. It's wonderful to study the Bible. Um, but I still want you to stress to us that we not just drink a cup of coffee and, you know, take a few notes. I really want us to still meet with the Lord, even if it's just a few minutes kneeling at the couch or wherever you are. 
to have that time to offer. Just even if all you're saying is, Lord, thank you for this day. Take the word that was just spoken from Hebrews 2 and give me understanding. Teach me what you want to teach me. But use it. Use that little time at the altar. And uh, always, y'all, not just this service, but always if you have a need and we haven't addressed it and you need prayer for something, come and tell me. We'll bring it before the body. If you need prayer for healing, you know, we'll pray for the sick. That's, that's all the time. But let me just open this in prayer. Uh, open this altar time. And just give this time to the Lord. If you want to get up and walk around and get up and find a little quieter place and speak to the Lord and meet with Him. But Father, we thank you so much for this night, God. We're so thankful, dear God, for the hope that we have in your word, God. The hope that you give us, Lord, that is very real. And God, we're excited about it. I'm glad that this world is not my home. I'm glad, Lord, that every promise that's in your word is for us. All the promises of God.